Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at verse 4 today. I definitely don't want to say anything to embarrass Dr. Marriott. I was just going to say that his words, I think, are very appropriate. Uh, In fact, I was going to say you stole my sermon while you were up here, but I thought your words were very appropriate to prepare our hearts and to think about our lives. Each of us have one life to offer. We don't know how long it'll be, but we do know what the priority should be. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we're going to read about an individual whose life and whose story is not long. Hebrews 11, 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. There is a contrast between two individuals. And this is a unique moment in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, as we share the stories and the faith of all of these men and women, this is a contrast between one who had faith and one who did not. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Have you ever found yourself feeling sorry for the bad guy. I grew up watching Looney Tunes. Any other Looney Tune people out there? All right, so Wiley e. Coyote. I, you know that he's the bad guy because he's trying to eat the Roadrunner, and so immediately he's the bad guy, and, um, and then you kind of watch his life unfold, and and of course, I mean, the Roadrunner is trying to escape, and you can also understand the fact that he's trying to turn the tables on the coyote. But, but when the coyote falls off of a 1,000-foot cliff, it just smashes into the ground, does he really deserve to have an anvil also fall on him? I remember the moment where I began to really have sympathy for for the coyote was the time it was completely uncalled for, completely unnecessary. But the roadrunner found a solid cliff face and painted a fake tunnel. I mean, everybody knows coyotes have no depth perception. And here comes Wiley Coyote at the, at the top of his speed and he just smashes into the side of that cliff, thinking it's a, it's a tunnel and it's not. And, and how could your heart not go out to him to some degree? The reason I mention that is I have to admit that Cain was one of those bad guys that I felt sorry for when I was younger. It seemed like he didn't have a whole lot of experience in life and went the wrong direction, and then that was it. His life was cursed, was never the same. It seems like perhaps, at least from Cain's perspective, that God played favorites and and so that, that favoritism of God is the thing that sent him down the wrong path. And, and surely we don't condone where that went, but at least we can understand it. Genesis 4 gives us a little bit more context. And I'm going to be really primarily looking at Hebrews 11, verse 4. That's where our, 
sermon is going to be based on, but the context, the narrative, is in Genesis chapter 4. And so we'll be looking at both of those. Genesis 4 gives more details about their well-known story. Cain became a farmer and Abel a shepherd. Eventually, both of them brought offerings to God, but while God accepted Abel's offering, Cain's offering was rejected, and Cain got angry. And later, while they were in a field... Actually, the narrative indicates that, that he spoke to Abel and perhaps enticed him into the field under different pretenses. And then while they were there, he, in anger, struck him down and he died. However, the biggest difference between Cain and Abel is not that one was a murderer and one was a martyr. We know that there are murderers who have been forgiven and are in heaven today. And we know that there are sincere martyrs who never had faith and are in hell today. And so the, the murderer and the martyr, those are not the most significant aspects of their life. Those are definitely part, a major part of the story. But the biggest difference between Cain and Abel is really focused on in Hebrews 11 verse 4 when it tells us by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That was the moment that the true divide was revealed between the brothers. In that moment there was something significant that would make an eternal difference. And in this verse, we're going to see very clearly what that is. If you look at Hebrews 11, verse 4, there's a theme repeated three times. It is, it is given by the word offered, and the word sacrifice, and the word gifts. And so here is Abel, who is offering these acts of worship. The word offered means a presentation of a gift. And the word sacrifice means something being offered up that is sacrificial. And gifts is just... A similar expression which speaks of a sacrificial gift and offering. So this short account in one verse focuses on Abel's worship. Two men approached God. Two men brought something to God. But only one of them was accepted by God. Which one are you? It's really easy when you hear about two individuals to identify with the one that you want to be identified with, but there's more to an identification than just a simple desire. The title of the message this morning is A Life of Worship is a Life That Matters. And I want to encourage you this morning that nothing is more important than acceptable worship. Nothing is more important than acceptable worship. There are three significant truths from this passage. As we ask the question to ourselves, is my worship acceptable to God? Do I bring things to God? Do I bring a life to God that He will receive, that will please Him, that will be acceptable in His sight? The three significant truths about worship are going to unfold from this story, and I think they will help us to have a perspective, a clear perspective about who we are and does our life matter, because, again, a life of worship is a life that matters. So first of all, this morning, we see that acceptable worship is the fruit of faith. 
Acceptable worship is the fruit of faith. Have you ever wondered why God accepted Abel's offering but not Cain's? I guess the easy answer, perhaps the Sunday school answer, is because Abel offered of the fruit of the of the flock. He offered a blood sacrifice. Here's a lamb, and the lamb was sacrificed, and that's a picture of Jesus, so it has to be better. But I believe that, first of all, the Bible doesn't say the reason why one sacrifice was better than the other. But furthermore, from Scripture, we understand that grain offerings were very acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, he, he, gave, um, he gave instructions about how he was to be approached in worship, and both blood sacrifices and grain offerings, first fruit offerings, were received by God and acceptable to worship him. I would also suggest that there's a clue in the text, because when Cain offered his offering to God, he was surprised that God didn't accept it. So it, it doesn't seem that there was this, this, this disobedience on the level of him bringing the opposite sacrifice of what God had asked him to bring. But I believe there is an answer in the text. As we examine the scriptures more closely, we can discern that God's response was not primarily about the offerings, but first and foremost, and most ultimately, it was about the ones who were bringing the offerings. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. In Genesis chapter 4, we see a reflection on this in verses 4 and 5. It says, The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And so this idea of respect for one, but not for the other, respect means to look with favor. And so as, as Abel brought his offering, God looked upon not just the offering, but he looked upon Abel with favor. But when Cain brought his offering, God did not look upon him with favor. So why did God look upon Abel with favor. The, the reason God looked on Abel with favor was because of Abel's faith. Scripture makes that abundantly plain. By faith, Abel. In order to be right with God, every single human must come to him by faith. It doesn't matter the family you come from. It doesn't matter the heritage you come from. It doesn't matter to the church that you grew up in. It doesn't matter the, 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 the different features of your life that stand out as being really great things about you. Every human must respond in faith. And biblical faith is simply believing the truth of something. Cain, I would suggest, he had no doubts about God's existence. He knew that God was real. He had interacted with God. But biblical faith is more than just knowledge. It is trusting in God's promise and provision for the forgiveness of our sins. When Hebrews says that he was righteous, this means that he was made right with God. He was completely forgiven of his sins. Every human has a problem. Each one of us come into the world with the problem, and the problem is sin. As Paul says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. That is our natural condition. But in 
Philippians 3.9, he gives the solution that through faith, through salvation, we can be found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is by the law, but the righteousness which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so Abel's offering, and this is an important point, Abel's offering did not make him righteous, but rather it demonstrated that he already was righteous. Notice how Hebrews puts it, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. That's similar to what Jesus says when he says, by their fruit you shall know them. It was the fruit of genuine faith that came out in his worship. So that's why God looked upon Abel with favor, but why did he not look upon Cain with favor? Well, because Cain's heart had never been changed. Same family, same direct understanding of who God was. But 1 John 3, verses 11 and 12, gives us a window into his spiritual condition. John says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. When John says that Cain was of that wicked one, that speaks about spiritual ownership. He was of the devil. He belonged to that. He had a personal knowledge about God. He believed all the same stuff about God that Abel did and even sacrificially brought something to God as worship. But he never humbled himself as a sinner. He never trusted in God's provision alone for deliverance from his sin. So that brings up another question. If Cain was not a believer, if he did not trust in God for salvation, why did he give an offering? Well, for the same reason that any unbeliever gives an offering. Why do millions of people go to church or temple or synagogue every single week? They don't know the gospel. They haven't believed the gospel. They know about God or they have a God of their own creation. Why do they give up time every single week? Why do they bow in prayer five times a day? Why do they have certain seasons where they fast and they give up things? Why do they give their money? Why do they support generously their church system? For the same reason that Cain did, to gain God's favor, to gain something in return or as a payment for sin. It's always, always, always a payment that they are making for services rendered. It's plastic fruit pasted on, perhaps with sincerity, in fact, certainly with sincerity, to assuage guilt, to make me feel better about myself, to store up spiritual credit with God, to surely God will accept me because look at what I have done for him. Feel good about yourself. This is what Proverbs says in Proverbs 15, verse 8. It says, The sacrifices of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And so it doesn't matter what an unbeliever does. It doesn't matter how sincere the religious person is. It doesn't matter. The fundamental Baptist young person who has high standards and who would never do X, Y, or Z 
and who looks just right and is offering up these externals to the Lord because this is what God will accept if I bring this to him. But there's never been a humility of heart that says, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's plastic fruit. It doesn't save. And it's not worship that God will receive with favor. And so this morning, nothing is more important than acceptable worship because it reflects a life that is genuinely transformed by the gospel. Acceptable worship is the fruit of faith. But we also see that acceptable worship is evaluated by God. Look back at Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, and then notice this, God testifying of his gifts. Abel was saved. We can say that he was a man of faith. He was a believer. Both Genesis and Hebrews make that very clear. But just because he was righteous doesn't mean that all of his acts of worship would be acceptable to God. If you're in here today as a believer, and you're like, okay, I have faith, and the fruit of my faith is acceptable worship, that means I can give God whatever I want, and he will receive it. Because that's what Dr. Brock told us today. That is not the case. God must testify of our gifts that they are acceptable to him. The text specifically says that Abel's sacrifice was more excellent. That's a single word that just simply means better or superior to Cain's. God testifying, he bore witness of his gifts that they were acceptable And so here's the simple point. God assesses true worship. By faith, Abel offered. Faith is not a feeling. It is, as we've already seen, it is the substance and evidence of things not seen. How do we know it then? How do we know what God wants? If it's not a feeling, if I don't just bring things that I feel are acceptable to him, how do I know what God wants? Because God reveals it to us. Faith, you see, is not just believing about something. Faith is believing God about something he has made known. Do you know the most fundamental question that we should ask of our worship? The most fundamental question we should ask of our worship, does this match church tradition? No. Does this follow the ancient creeds? No. Does this stir up my emotions? It's not it. Is this distinctly conservative? That's not enough either. Is this from the heart? Nope. Is it deeply meditative? The most fundamental question about worship is simply this. Does God want this? Does God want this? Here's what I'm bringing. Does God want it? How do we know? 
Well, we have to be committed to know and obey what God has revealed about worship. I want you to notice the contrast with Cain. Look at verse, uh, if, you, if you can just flip back to Genesis 4, I'm going to be touching upon several verses there for just a moment. Genesis 4, verse 5, it says, But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So Cain approached God with what he thought was worship. I think there was sincerity there, but God did not accept it, and he became angry at God for not affirming his offering. God, I brought this to you. This is what I chose for you. How come you will not accept it? I mean, think about the pride and the audacity of that. I bring something to God, and I'm excited about it, and I'm sincere, and here you go, God. And God says, that's not acceptable to me. Immediately, I should say, well, that's my only goal. My only goal is for it to be acceptable to you. And I'm not going to try to conform you to my image so that I give you what I deem best. I want to know what you want, Lord. And so we transform our thinking to match the perspective of God as revealed in his word. Not so with Cain. He brought his offering. God said, I don't accept it. Cain got angry at God. Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. You know, I said sometimes we feel compassion, we feel sorry for the bad guy, because here's Cain, he just got swept away on this, and, you know, what was he to do? Here's God unacceptable worship. God does not smite Cain. God comes to Cain. God clarifies that's not what I'm looking for. God gives instruction about how Cain can proceed, and and in a right and righteous way, I will accept you if this is the direction you go. You've got a pride problem. You've got a sin problem, and you're at a crossroads of life. Cain, please turn. It became clear that Cain had no interest and following God's instruction in order to be accepted. And the reason was that he was being dominated by his sin. Sin already had hold of him, and God warned him that the little bit that sin has a hold of you right now, its it's approach to your life, the way that it is getting near to you, it wants to dominate you. It wants to overwhelm you. It wants to overcome you. So the question... Can we fall into this trap as believers in relation to our worship? Where, where we want to worship God in the way that we want to worship him. But we never stop and consider, does God want this? Absolutely we can. It's a heart of unbelief, but it's, it's a kind of way that, that we can think that is not of faith. And so the point is, is that we must offer our life and our moments of worship by faith. It's not a mystical feeling, but rather a settled trust with God as its object. We're saved by faith because we trust in God for salvation, and we worship by faith as we trust and obey what God has revealed, how we should relate to him. It's interesting, as we go through our series in Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see a phrase over and over and over again. We're going to see the phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. And every time you see that indicated, what you're going to notice is you're going to notice a believer 
who recognizes what God desires of them and they obey. They trust and they obey. They trust and they obey. They trust and they obey. And that is our pattern for a life of worship. The New Testament and all of Scripture is full of instruction from God about how we can approach Him in worship. God wants us to bring an offering of praise. God wants us to engage our hearts in preaching and teaching. He wants us to use our spiritual gifts to build up his body. He wants, to share truth with, he wants us to share truth with each other in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. God wants us to pray together and for each other. He wants us to stir one another up to love and to good works. He wants us to give cheerfully and to honor him with our substance. God wants us to bear one another's burdens, and he wants us to be faithfully assembling together. And the list goes on. As we understand his word, he gives us a perspective of his heart for us. He wants us to worship him in each of these ways because true worshipers worship according to truth, but as Jesus says, they also worship in spirit with joy in our hearts to the Lord. And none of, this, none, of the, none of the truth in Scripture that demonstrate how we must approach God, none of them are intended to be a checkbox. All of them are intended to be an opportunity for us to draw near to God and for us to honor the one who has given everything for us. So nothing is more important than acceptable worship. I trust you've seen that. Acceptable worship is the fruit of faith. Acceptable worship is evaluated by God. And the final truth, and this is probably the most incredible aspect of this story, is that acceptable worship is all that matters. Whose life would you rather have? Cain or Abel? Well, after the murder, God cursed Cain by taking away his ability to farm productively. But he also showed him mercy. He spared his life. He was long-suffering. He kept him from human justice. But then what? In Genesis 4, 16 and 17, it says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And so you can imagine a sigh of relief. Whew, you know, no more rules, no more rejection by God. I get to kind of govern myself and chart my own path and in my own spirituality going forward. So he went out from the presence of the Lord and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east and Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So Cain got married. He had children. Cain founded a notable city and named it after his oldest son. The rest of Genesis chapter 4 gives a genealogy of Cain's life. He had children. He had grandchildren. He had great-grandchildren. Great people. Notable people came from his line. He lived a long and successful and prosperous life. But Abel was dead. Which life would you choose? But not so fast. The end of verse 4 says this about Abel. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. 
As odd as it is to say this, and we have to believe it by faith, out of these two men, only Abel's life had true meaning. So the question this morning is, can God take a simple life and save it by faith and bear fruit of true worship by faith and regardless of how the world evaluates it, say, this is a life that matters. One of the reasons I don't feel too bad for Wiley Coyote is because apparently he had thousands of lives. The guy never died. But you have one life and then the judgment. One life that matters. And nothing is more important than acceptable worship. The fruit of genuine faith. If you're in here today and you know that you're not saved, and you're looking at the Cain life and the success and the name you can make for yourself, that life doesn't matter. God is everything. He wants to be everything to us. And he wants that reflected in our worship. The fruit of faith, it's evaluated by God. No matter where we stand as we think about worship, we must, must ask the question, does God want this? We must look to scripture. We must see truth. We must be guided by that. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. And then to come back to where we ended, acceptable worship is all that matters. As you think about your life, choose faith. Choose that kind of worship. Choose that kind of life by God's grace, and you will never regret it. Lord, would you help us today to be challenged by this simple testimony, a life that from the world's perspective seems wasted and cut off prematurely that never amounted to anything, no descendants, no city, no prosperity, no future, and yet it mattered, and you say it mattered, and we believe by faith that it matters, and we want that kind of life for us. Would you do a work in our hearts right now? Would you transform us? Would you help us to say yes in these simple ways? And we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.